Well, hello there and welcome back in to the latest edition of the Last Word on Sports Media Podcast. Good to be back with you. I am the somewhat capable host, TJ Reeves. Lots to go over, lots to discuss from the finish up to the Masters, which was a big ratings winner for CBS on Easter Sunday, to the NBA play-in going on this weekend to start their playoffs. Yes, their mini version of March Madness will be going on, and we've got a special guest to tell you more about it and uh, obviously give you some insight on calling uh, his game that is coming up on Wednesday night. Chuck Swirsky of the Chicago Bulls radio broadcast uh, will be here in just a little bit as part of this podcast. We've got plenty of other things to discuss, like my Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, I'm here in West Central Florida, and the Tampa Bay Rays are electric right now to start the Major League season. But when are they going to get some national love uh, in terms of the sports media coverage? Uh, Right now, they are having uh, to take over uh, to get some love, some narrative, some attention. So uh, you've got that going on. You've got the NHL playoffs that are looming. Lots transpiring, and we always love to cover it and go over it here as part of the last word on sports media. Okay, a couple of things. Number one, you can help the show out by following, subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify to the last word on sports media podcast feed. Do so to hear this podcast each and every week as we come your way uh, overnight on a Tuesday night into Wednesday morning. Immediately preceding us every week is George Offman's Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. George's sports media podcast focuses on uh, storytelling with primarily a Chicago tinge, a Chicago angle. For example, his guest this week is longtime Chicago sports and now news anchor Ryan Baker, who's got a great story for a lot of different reasons, not the least of which is he's a former basketball manager at the University of Illinois when the Fighting Illini went to the Final Four. Back in 1989, Baker has now had a long run as a sports casting personality and now a news personality and has great stories from covering everything from the Chicago Bulls to the Chicago Cubs first World Series in 100 years to the Chicago Blackhawks and all of their titles. It's been quite a time. So anyway, George loves the storytelling podcast, does a great job with getting the guests and getting them to talk and asking the great pertinent questions. Ryan Baker, the guest uh, this week on the show. And of course, on his most recent episodes, George has had the likes of Jason Benetti, Joe Madden, Greg Gumbel, uh, Benetti, obviously Fox Sports, Chicago White Sox. Joe Madden won that World Series for the Chicago Cubs back, uh, but what, five, six years ago. First World Series win in over 100 years. And Greg Gumbel, who started in Chicago as a local sportscaster again before rising to ESPN and eventually CBS and is now synonymous with their NCAA tournament coverage, just concluding yet again for 2023. Greg has been in the studio for over 20 years now, over 25 years, actually, uh, for CBS in that role. Go back and hear all of those on this very podcast feed from George. And by the way, uh, kudos to my guys, Mike Gill, Phil DeMont Mollen, and the Announcer Schedules podcast also on this feed. You get everything right here on this podcast feed because those guys have been killing it as of late with their show, telling you who's doing it well on the national level in specific TV, radio, uh, who's doing it well in the booth, who's got the call of the game, uh, whether it be the NBA playoffs right now or the start to the major league season or back to the Masters from last weekend, which we're going to talk about in a bunch. Uh, you know, most recently, uh, these guys uh, with some great guests, Mike Monaco of ESPN and the New England Sports Network, Nesson, 
was a guest of theirs last week. They also had separate interview conversations with ESPN Sean McDonough, one of the more famous play-by-play voices of the last 35-plus years with CBS and with ESPN. Uh, and also Mark Zumoff, the longtime voice of the Philadelphia 76ers from radio and TV. Those guys have all been guests recently, Announcer Schedules podcast, and it's right here on this podcast feed, Last Word on Sports Media. So you want to be following, subscribing. Also find us at lastwordonsports.com slash podcast for the web support and the web help on the show. And again, Mark, um, uh, Mike and Phil will be back uh, with another episode coming here later in the week of Announcer Schedules so we do have a great slate here on the podcast feed. Lots of reasons to engage. And by the way, give us a rating and a review. It will help out. Always does. Five-star review on Apple Podcast. Uh, tell us uh, that you enjoy the content, et cetera. We love that, and it will help others be able to find the show if you rate and review us. Okay, all of that being said, again, we'll talk NBA play-in in a few minutes, but how do you not begin without the tradition unlike any other? The Masters, which I didn't realize until recently, they've actually trademarked that phrase, among others. Uh, they've trademarked the green jacket. Uh, they've traded. They've trademarked uh, Augusta National, the Masters name and logo. But a tradition unlike any other is also trademarked uh, as well for any purposes of any merchandising. And the and the tradition delivered. It delivered with a huge come from behind win by John Rahm of Spain who is, a, uh, is now a first-time winner at Augusta, has more than solidified himself as one of the top golfers in the world over the last few years. Won a U.S. Open a couple of years ago, United States Golf Open, and now, after multiple wins this year on the PGA Tour, cashes in big time forever uh, with the Masters win, coming from four shots behind in the final round to defeat Brooks, Kepka and everybody else in the field. Uh, Phil Mickelson making a great charge at almost 53 years of age. Phil will be 53 later this summer. It's incredible to contemplate uh, what he's been able to do at an advanced age, winning the PGA Championship himself a couple of years ago. And uh, and now Phil was right there with a final round 65. The unfortunate thing was because of the bad weather on Saturday and Sunday. A lot of the a lot of the golf was played played in awful conditions, cold conditions, wet conditions, cold on Sunday morning where basically everybody on the course had to finish at least 28, 29, and in the, in the leader's case, 30 holes, finish 11 of them in the third round, then after an hour or so break, come back and play the final round uh, at Augusta and play 18 more and potentially have a playoff, et cetera. So Phil uh, gave up shots on Sunday morning on his back nine in the cold, gave up actually three shots down the stretch. Those three shots would be vital after he made his charge on Sunday afternoon, making birdie after birdie at 13 and 15 and 16, Mickelson uh, stirring up memories of his three Masters wins, and that helped. That helped the ratings and the numbers as the Masters officially clocks in at just over 12 million viewers, according to CBS, on average uh, for the uh, final round coverage on Sunday. It peaked at over 15 million watching golf, watching the Masters on Easter Sunday in the 7 Eastern time hour before 60 minutes came on and as John Rahm finished it off. And again, 15 million at the peak without there being much drama on the 17th and 18th hole. Rahm, Rahm comfortably in front, so it didn't require a lot of drama. But uh, a couple of things obviously stand out. The first thing, 
Uh, the disclaimer that we always continue to say, we repeat what our colleague John Lewis has said forever on Sports Media Watch in the previous incarnation of this podcast, you're now measuring out-of-home audience. Nielsen is doing that with portable people meters that they can measure out of the home when somebody leaves that's a Nielsen family, and what do they watch at another residence besides their home setup? What happens when they go to a, a gathering somewhere else, a sports bar, another house? They're now measuring that. Uh, up until a couple of years ago, they weren't measuring that. So the numbers that you see prior to 2021, let's say, they don't include out-of-home measurement. So now when you see the spin by CBS or NBC or Fox or ESPN, ABC or anybody with the ratings uh, that is calculating out-of-home in the total audience, the overall audience, uh, if they're not at least qualifying it as this is the present day with out-of-home, we'll keep doing that. We'll keep mentioning that. So when you compare 12 million watching in 2018 or 14 million watching in 2016 or go all the way back to Tiger Woods and his epic win at Augusta that had 20 million people watching in 1997, the Hello World Masters win by the young 21-year-old Tiger Woods, none of that was measuring out of home. If people were watching somewhere at a relative's house, at a sports bar, at another gathering with friends, wherever, it wasn't being measured. So that 20 million in 1997 could very well have been 22 or 23 million. And even as recently as a few years ago, a 13 or 14 million to watch the Masters could actually have been 16, 17 million with measuring out of home. So that is one big difference. Another big difference uh, here in this is that you now also have streaming numbers. You have people that are watching on the app watching on masters.com in this case, or watching on, on things like ESPN plus, which was also, also streaming the golf. The masters had over a million people watching on all platforms, ESPN plus masters.com, the masters app on Sunday for their final round coverage. So streaming makes a big deal too, because that's not being measured by Nielsen off of CBS. Uh, and more and more of the world is starting to stream games on all of these different platforms. That's where it's headed. Where I mean, where are we headed five years from now, 10 years from now, 25 years from now, where the streaming numbers will, they're not going to completely take over linear television, but they're going to rival it. There, there's going to be points in times for these big events, not the Super Bowl, but for a lot of these big events where suddenly there's 3 million, 4 million, 5 million people streaming it because that's what people have, have begun to do and grow accustomed to doing to watching all of this. So in any event, there's a little bit of breakdown of the numbers. Again, the live golf angle. We talked a lot about that last week, the breakaway road tour. That's what Mickelson's part of. That's what Brooks Kepko is part of. I, I did think, you know, in one regard, a lot's being made of, uh, of Jim Nance taking a jab at live golf and a jab at the CW network, having no audience for the live golf broadcast because they had spray painted on the ground at Augusta on one of the holes and on all the holes that have a crosswalk, CW for crosswalk. This is where the, the fans, oh, don't call them fans, call them patrons. At your own peril, call them patrons or else on the uh, on the Masters coverage. Don't call them fans. You're going to get yourself in trouble. Uh, but the patrons have to know where to cross at certain fairways when they're trying to go from one hole to the other because you can't go on every side of every hole. Like, for example, in the in the famed back nine, uh, of Augusta National. I don't know if you realize this, but until the 16th hole, there's nobody on the left side of any fairway going down the other side. 
You can go down the part of number 10, having been at Augusta National and Augusta, Georgia. You can go down part of number 10, part of the way. There's housing down there. There's cabins down there. Butler Cabin is up by the 10th tee. But when you get down towards the 11th tee, nobody's going down the left side of the fairway towards that famous pond and that downhill green that's so treacherous. There's there's nobody, obviously, up around the green on number 12 or, or down around the tee box at number 13 where the players walk back. They do so in quiet with no fans around, no fans down the left side of the 13th hole. There are some fans on uh, 14, but then on 15, again, the par five around the woods, there's nobody there. There's nobody. There's no fans down the left side of the hole. But again, crosswalks are important. So the CW joke did resonate uh, and, may, and make the rounds. But I thought it was interesting. And in a lot of ways, it, it's become petty and it's become part of the argument of the Live Golf and uh, and the people that are involved with the, with the Saudi International Fund that's funding uh, Live Golf to the tune of hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars right now for the players and the events that CBS was just uh, bound to determine we're not even going to mention it. We're, we're not going to make any mention as Brooks Kepka is dominating things on Friday and Saturday that, oh, my God, he won the Live Golf event in Orlando just last weekend. Then maybe that might have been a good indication that he could play well at Augusta, that he beat a field last week that was far superior to a lot of the PGA Tour fields uh, as of late over the course of the last five, six weeks on the PGA Tour when they were playing in West Palm Beach or Tampa or in uh, San Antonio last weekend, when Brooks Kepka's beating Dustin Johnson and beating Cam Smith and beating Bryson DeChambeau and, and some of the top names and the top golfers in the world, that's a lot better than what we've seen on the PGA Tour. But, oh, we're, we're not going to mention – we're not going to mention that Phil in his attire has got the uh, the logos of his team from Live Golf that he's now sporting, or we're not going to make mention that Phil was one of the ringleaders who actually got suspended by the PGA tour for trying to recruit players to go to live golf. Let's don't even mention it on the broadcast. Now, I mean, even though it is part of the story, even though three golfers are in the top five now, now Patrick Reed, uh, Phil Mickelson didn't come close to having the lead, especially on Sunday. Mickelson got within a couple of shots of John Rahm, but that was it. It is solo second. And then Ron ends up beating everybody by, three shots or four shots. But Patrick Reed got in the top five as well. And I know he's not well-liked. He's a former Masters champion. He's on the Live Golf Tour. Brooks Kepka is winning the tournament all the way up until about the middle of the second round or the uh, the uh, final round on Sunday. And, and there's, I mean, there's no mention that he's gone to the breakaway tour. I mean, the golf media were asking about it after the rounds were over with. But look, the bottom line is the Live Golfers are going to be involved in the PGA Championship coming up. Next month, they're going to be involved in the United States Open coming up in June and the British Open or the Open the Open Championship coming in July. They're going to be the ones that are exempt are going to be there. And why do I get the feeling that a couple of them are probably going to be in and around the lead, if not leading and be part of the story? So uh, to ignore it is almost petty and silly at this point, almost like they're being instructed because CBS televises the PGA Tour all year long and the PGA Tour is at war with Live Golf. We can't mention it. We can't even bring it up. I mean, even though the Masters has nothing to do with the PGA Tour, the PGA Championship, while it has the letters PGA for Professional Golfers Association, the, the PGA of America and the PGA Championship, that, that's not the PGA Tour. That's not the same. The United States Open, the USGA, that's not the PGA Tour. They're not beholden to the PGA Tour. That's one of the reasons why they're saying we have to do what's in the best interest of our event, being televised to millions. 
How does it help our event to have some of the best players, Brooks Kepka, Dustin Johnson, uh, Mickelson, DeChambeau, whomever it is up around the top, how is it in our best interest to not have these guys, former major champions, uh, contenders for major championships, former top 20 in the in the world golf rankings as recently as last year? How does it help us and our event that we don't have them there? They're going to be there. It's part of the story. It's part of the storyline. So anyway, I thought I would bring that up. And, and just interesting because I know I'm going a, a bit about the golf. But uh, folks, you got to contemplate this. To have 12 million people on average watching Sunday for Easter Sunday, to put that into context, uh, that the last time that the Masters was on Easter, um, the the numbers were not as good. The uh, the last time that the event uh, was played uh, a year ago, they averaged just over 10.1 million. So the audience is up 2 million, and that's an apples-to-apples apples comparison with the out-of-home. Tiger Woods' win in 2018 averaged 10.8 million, uh, or in 2019, which was the one that was tape delayed. And again, that had out of home as well. That had out of home accounting. Uh, actually, no, that one did not. In 2019, when Tiger won, the average was 10.8 million. But again, that was tape delayed. It was shown live. The tournament concluded around three Eastern time, and then CBS rolled right back in and replayed the final round again for people that were joining it late after their Easter services, their their food and their family, uh, et cetera, Western time zone watching it later in the day. It still ended up around 10 million. Why, why are we talking about this so much? Because a 12 million average is more than any of the NBA play-in playoff games are going to get. It's more than any of the Stanley Cup primetime playoffs are going to get and probably even the Stanley Cup finals. There are not going to be 12 million people watching at least the early rounds of the Stanley Cup finals playoff games on cable between ESPN and TNT. Not going to happen. The early season baseball, even on Fox, even on Sunday night on ESPN, national TV game on Saturday on Fox, it's not going to have 12 million people watching. I got news for you. Uh, with the exception maybe of the Kentucky Derby, probably not the Indianapolis 500. There's nothing, including probably the PGA Championship. I mean, the Masters is the the standard because you know the course, you know the history, you know the great players that have won it more so than the other majors. The PGA Championship in May is not going to have, on Sunday, 12 million people watching unless it's Tiger Woods miraculously contending. Uh, from all of his injuries, and Tiger was hobbled again, bad leg, bad back, cold weather. I mean, what uh, what else did you need to know that he was not going to be able to contend? If Tiger's contending to win the PGA Championship, which is miracle of miracles if that's happening, then maybe on Sunday they would get 10 or $12 million? Probably not. Doesn't matter if it's John Rahm, Rory McIlroy, or even if Phil is contending. They're going to be lucky for the PGA Championship to get $8, 9000000 million, seven, eight, nine million $7, $8, $9 on that Sunday. Watch. Watch what happens with that. But the point is, for right now, I'm spending time on this because obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, a great portion of you watched the Masters on Sunday. That's why that rating delivered like that. So in any event, there's some on the golf and on the ratings and the ratings perspective. Um, and, and again, uh, just um, for comparison's sake, uh, they, they did well even on Sunday morning. Uh, averaging over four million on Sunday morning to watch the coverage on CBS. It just tells you what live sports 
can do and that lead in for 60 minutes, et cetera. And what the difference is with live sports, especially on Sunday, late Sunday in the afternoon and evening, Eastern and Central time. Uh, and those numbers that always build for Sunday night football off the late window of NFL action at four Eastern time, three Central time. Uh, the, the, I mean, this is what we see. This is what we know. And golf was a winner in that regard. All right. Now, the NBA also has some drama. And as we continue on the last word on Sports Media Podcast, let's get into that with their play-in and explain a little more about what's going on with one of the guys that will be calling a play-in game come Wednesday night. Let's get into that right now. As promised, been looking forward to this kind of conversation because the NBA play-in for its playoffs are coming up. And on Wednesday night, the Chicago Bulls will take on the Toronto Raptors. And let's talk now about the preparation and all that's involved with the 15-year voice. Has it been 15 that he's back with the Chicago Bulls on the radio? He and Bill Winnington do a great job. Hello, Chuck Swirsky. Thank you for hanging on the Last Word on Sports Media podcast because I know you're busy. You're getting ready for the play-in and for the playoffs starting up. Thank you for being here. Well, my pleasure. Thank you very much. Uh, many thanks also to George Offman for playing eHarmony or Match.com and connecting us. By the way, Chuck was fantastic as a long-form guest on George's Tell Me a Story I Don't Know podcast kind of Chicago centric and obviously Chuck has been in a lot of different places, but it's a, it's a great pod. It's a great listen right here on this feed. You can just search Chuck's name uh, spelled S W I R S K Y. And you can find that podcast in its entirety. Great stuff with him on this podcast feed. Uh, so with all the promos and the, and the bouquets out of the way, we got basketball, we got playoff basketball and the bulls did get in as the number 10 seed into this new play in uh, that's now in its third year of existence. What has this been like the last couple of weeks, the last couple of games, trying to make sure you could get into a play-in situation as a franchise and for the broadcaster? What's that been What's that been like? Yeah, well, first and foremost, TJ, number one, thank you for the invite. I appreciate this. Um, you know, it's been interesting because there are two sides to every story, obviously, regarding sports, life, politics. But in the case of the play-in tournament, you know, if you're if you're a team looking for relevance, this is probably great. But for the Bulls, I expected more, to be quite candid with you. I thought we were going to be probably somewhere maybe five, four in the seed. You know, when we tipped off in October, didn't materialize. A lot of things happened during the course of the year. The first thing, Lonzo Ball, obviously. So it is what it is. And you realize, okay, we got to play in tournament and you got to make the most of it. So from one game to the next, not one week to the next, but one game to the next, the Bulls found themselves on the outside, outside looking in. And then TJ, two weeks ago, they were on the outside looking in. And then a week ago, they were in. And then, you know, I mean, so it turns out that we don't know whether you're the 10th seed, the ninth seed, you win a ball game, you're down by 23 to Memphis, and then all of a sudden you got Atlanta coming to town, and you think to yourself, hey, Bulls win this game, they got the mojo going, they're going to jump to eighth, and they're going to be in a 7-8 game in a week. And what happened? Atlanta comes in to the United Center, wins by 15. So it's been bizarre. Well, and uh... – not unlike kind of, uh, and this is what it's patterned after, like the NCAA tournament, where you don't know what to expect. And in that case, it's one game elimination. This is similar for the nine and the 10 seeds in both the East and the West. So once it became locked in that the Bulls were either going to be the 10 or the nine, 
Uh, take me through. You're doing the final regular season game with Detroit, but you got eyeballs on, okay, it looks like it's going to be Toronto, and you're getting ready right. to do that game that means everything. Take us through the preparation and the mindset this past weekend and getting ready for Wednesday, if you would. Well, I've seen all three games again with the Bulls and the Raptors. We haven't seen Toronto since late February. I mean, we got rid of this three-game series quickly. In fact, TJ, the back-to-back, the the second game and the first game with the Raptors was a back-to-back. I mean, literally, we played them on a like on a Monday and a Tuesday, and then we didn't see them again until late February. So, having said all this, you know, you look for trends. And one thing about Nick Nurse is he doesn't mind being a risk taker. I love his coaching. He thinks outside the box. He's not afraid to dip into the bag and go for a diamond or a boxing one or things you would pull out as a high school or college coach. And it, with the exception of he's got NBA players. So now you look at the Raptors, they're long, they're tall, they're athletic, they run like gazelles, they can't shoot threes, their offense has struggled. But what they can do is they get after it and they grind it out defensively. Steals, uh, the way they they box out on rebounding. They're second in the league in offensive rebounding. And I think that is going to be the issue here. Hitting the glass if you're the Bulls or attempt to do the best job you can on the window. And the second thing is, how are the Bulls going to be able to handle when Nick Nurse throws a double-team blitz at DeMar DeRozan at the foul line? Who's going to step up? Because as soon as that pass goes to Levine, there's going to be a blitz there too. So who's going to step up? Are they going to go to Vucherly? Are they going to establish him? Who's going to be the X factor? Will it be Kobe White coming off the bench? Will it be Patrick Williams? I don't know. But I can tell you the excitement in that arena come Wednesday night with DeMar returning and having a chance to eliminate a team, TJ, that not only drafted him where he spent nine years and a lottery pick, but also the team that traded him. Mm -hmm. Okay? And, I mean, DeMar is a very proud man. But, TJ, put yourself in his position. They traded him. They got rid of Dwayne Casey. And what happened? Nick Nurse comes in. Kawhi Leonard comes in. They win an NBA title. So now this is a huge stage, big drama here to eliminate a team that traded you. And he's too proud of a man. He'll, he won't go there, and I get it. But deep down inside, it's only human nature to say to yourself, come on, you know? What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Yeah, no question about that. As we talk with Chuck Swirsky for a few more moments uh, here on the Last Word on Sports Media podcast, again, the NBA play-in night two has the Bulls uh, and the Toronto Raptors playing in Toronto where the winner knows they're going on the road somewhere. That's another intriguing part of this because the 9-10 game knows we're either in this case playing in Miami, which is the favored team at home, or in 
Atlanta. Just take me through. I mean, this is the third year of it. It is a fascinating, different dynamic to the unknown. The unknown that even if you win, uh, you're you're back on the road against somebody, and you don't know who that somebody is until about 10 p.m. or 11 p.m. Eastern time on Tuesday night on where that somewhere would be. Yeah. Well, you know what, TJ? I am bringing a stack of notes for both Atlanta <laughs> and Miami. We haven't seen Miami for a while either. But uh, the truth of the matter is, I think it brings excitement to the sport. Um, my, my only, the only downer is, if you're the seventh seed and you fought really, really hard, let's say uh, the seventh seed came out of nowhere and you were last year on the outside looking in and all of a sudden you had a player or two or a player comes back from an injury from a year ago and you get the seventh seed and you're saying to yourself, wow, this was great. And normally, okay, the seventh seed is playing the second seed and you can build on that. Well, now if you're the seventh seed, you're saying to yourself, oh no, we get, we, you know, we get a home game, but we got to get out of this seven, eight game. And then if we lose, you know, we, we still get another home game, but nonetheless, you know, there are no givens. So I, I think it can be very, uh, the, the type of frustration uh, along with anxiety that comes with especially the seventh seed, I understand. But at the end of the day, if fans are into it and they are into it, then so be it. And the interesting thing is the seventh seed in both the East and West is what Chuck is saying. They're assured of a second game if they lose. The other three are not assured of anything. You lose and it's over. And that's kind of the way the NBA wants it at the end here. I know you've got to go in a moment or two. Uh, this is also special because Toronto was your broadcasting home for many yes. years. In fact, you and I have reconnected uh, after you talked to a young broadcasting TJ more than 20 years ago as the voice of the Toronto Raptors. And thank you for that publicly giving back and reaching back to younger broadcasters. I don't even know if you've done that a hundred times. You probably mm -hmm. have, but you did it with me. What is this like for you? Playoff elimination game in Toronto where you used to broadcast. That's got to be that's got to be another good subplot, a, another fun subplot for you, I would think. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I know my role. I stay in my lane. I'm the broadcaster. I'm not a coach. I'm not a player. I'm not a front office executive. But just for 10 years of my life, I, I lived in that country and loved the city. The people were great. As you know, TJ, I became a dual citizen. I mm -hmm. thought I was going to be in Toronto for the rest of my life. The Bulls came and they called and, you know, it's, Hard to say no to the brand and the Jerry Reinstorf and the Reinstorf family. But, you know, Toronto will always, always be special. The fans are magnificent. It's going to be crazy. And, I mean, it's going to be electric. I wish we were actually playing on Tuesday instead of Wednesday because I'm amped up already. <laughs> and um, so we go in there and we'll see what happens. You know, I, I, I think the way the Bulls – the way the Bulls have played uh, the last month and a half, I think, gives me hope. But they've got to make sure and do the little things, TJ, especially on the glass rebounding the basketball. Well, listen, I love the insight that you're giving us. He's going to be on the call with Bill Wennington, who might know a thing or two about winning with that guy, Michael Jordan, and that other guy, Scottie Pippen, in the postseason. Uh, you can follow Chuck, by the way, at CTS Bulls 
on social media. I, I have one request. If, if the Bulls get the win, you've got to at least share out a little John Travolta in the polyester suit with the mo- number one finger in the air, staying alive. we got to see a little staying alive yeah. on Chuck's social media if they stay alive yeah. against Toronto. Live to fight another day. That's what the NBA that, play is right. all about. Hey, that's what it's all It's all about, TJ, an opportunity. The Bulls have been given an opportunity. Let's see what they do with it. Should be a lot of fun to, to see what happens. Chuck, again, will be on the call on Bulls Radio. Thank you for the time here on the Last Word on Sports Media Podcast for giving us some insight into the preparation and being ready for the NBA play-in. Good luck to the Bulls, and we appreciate uh, your time here. And thank you again for the long-form conversation that we point people to with George Offman on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. Uh, Chuck has got a phenomenal story with his talent, his faith, all of it. Happy Easter, post-Easter, by the way, too, Chuck Swirsky. Go get him. Go get him in Toronto. Thank you, sir. All right, TJ. Be well. And once more, we thank Chuck for taking time because, again, I know he is busy and he was trying at that time to get to Toronto for the Wednesday night play-in game as we release the podcast, that game coming on Wednesday evening in Canada for the Chicago Bulls and the Toronto Raptors. The winner moves on now to play the Miami Heat. We now know that the Atlanta Hawks upset the Miami Heat in Miami on Tuesday. Uh, I obviously recorded with Chuck prior to knowing that. So that means Atlanta grabs the seventh seed in the Eastern Conference playoffs, and now the winner of Chicago and Toronto's play-in game goes to play the Miami Heat on Friday night Man, the Miami Heat are in a position where they could lose both games over the course of three days at home and be out of the playoffs. Could happen. But the loser of the Bulls and the Raptors, their season is over. The Raptors have it on their home court, and we'll see what happens with that play-in game coming on uh, Wednesday night. And then the NBA playoffs will be set and begin uh, on Sunday with all the different matchups and what will happen between defending champion Golden State Uh, The runner-up a year ago is Boston out of the Eastern Conference. They're the two seed. We now know they're playing the Hawks. The Milwaukee Bucks are the one seed. We'll see how everything uh, filters out with the play-in games leading to uh, the playoffs. And again, we'll see how the the play-in games obviously will get five, six, seven million people watching on cable, and maybe even a little better than that. Uh, as a one-game elimination, especially in a one-game elimination situation, which the Tuesday night games are not, as we release the podcast, those were not to be eliminated from the playoffs between the Heat and the uh, the Hawks and the Lakers and the Timberwolves. Now, the Wednesday night games obviously are elimination games between the 9 seed and the 10 seed in both cases for the East and the West. Loser goes home. That's the situation for Chicago and Toronto, and that's the situation as well in the other Western Conference series. And then Friday night, is absolutely elimination for whoever loses. And man, you don't want to be a seven seed that lost both games at home to miss out on being in a playoff series to start the year for the NBA playoffs. All right, so uh, much more coming with the playoffs that will play off. It will play out uh, seemingly forever. The NBA and the NHL playoffs just duel for the second season for how long they take from early mid-April all the way into June before we decide that. And the NBA, by the way, is the worst. Is the worst with playing a couple of playoff games and then not playing for like two or three days. And then we even get to the end of the conference finals, Eastern and Western finals, and let's take a week off. I, you know, I long for the days. And part of that is national television deal, and they want the games on ABC, and they're now televising outside of the 
spring season of television programming, which again, for weeknight network over the air TV programming that has sitcoms, that has dramas, that has reality shows, none of those shows for the most part are getting more than two or three million on average. Some of the reality shows like an American Idol or The Voice or Survivor might get five, six million for reality show, but they they aren't getting what sports gets on network TV in primetime. So if and when ABC starts showing NBA playoff games in primetime, including the NBA Finals, they're going to double up and triple up what you're seeing on network TV. They can get to that quicker than the second week in June, is my point. But they make us wait and they make us wait. It's kind of a pet peeve. You know what? That kind of leads us into what's going to wrap the podcast up here. Let's get into it. Love it or leave it. So you already hear me saying leave it on the scheduling here for the NHL and in particular the NBA and how long they take to play this out. At least the NHL goes quicker with it. All right, let's get the next series underway in a day or two, especially early on in the playoffs. And the NBA does a little bit too, but then they slow it down. They don't play until June. That's definitely a leave it. Let me give you a love it while we're here. Uh, As an old school fan of the United States Football League, I'm loving the nicknames and the teams and the old logos. And now, unlike a year ago, where the USFL is now coming back to play for a second season, some of the teams are actually playing in the city where they existed. A year ago, they played every game in Birmingham with very little fans, and there was no connection uh, whatsoever to any of the teams. And like, for example, the Tampa Bay Bandits, uh, they have no connection here, and they're not even playing this year. Uh, as it as it, if I understand correctly in the USFL, but anyway, NBC and Fox about to start televising the USFL. It is interesting for all of the spring football leagues. This is the first time since the USFL of the 1980s, 83, 84, and 85, that a spring league will play a second consecutive season without pulling the plug after year one or in the middle of year one. So that I mean that goes for the XFL. That goes for the Alliance of American Football that didn't even make it through its one and only season. The XFL tried a reboot. The XFL had a season in 2001 and then never played a second season. Vince McMahon pulled the plug. 2020, they were playing a season but only got, what, four or five weeks in, and Vince McMahon pulled the plug again in and around the uh, COVID-19 craziness and the pandemic. So they never played a second consecutive season. Uh, and uh, and there have been a couple of the, like the United Football League, the UFL that was very little known back in the 2010s. It didn't play a second straight year. So the USFL played a year ago. And so now they are back um, playing here in 2023 for a second straight season. So it does take me back to my youth when I moved to the Tampa Bay area and the Tampa Bay Bandits were such an intriguing, exciting team in the United States Football League. Uh, Here in this area, the Buccaneers were so bad at that time in the 83 and 84 uh, NFL seasons. It was fun to watch Tampa Bay Bandits spring football. Uh, So this week, the USFL will get things underway with the Birmingham Stallions, Houston Gamblers, Memphis Showboats, Michigan Panthers, all the names you know, New Jersey Generals, uh, New Orleans Breakers, Philadelphia Stars, and Pittsburgh Maulers making up the season. So no Tampa Bay Bandits. Uh, for this year, and some of the teams are playing at different home venues, uh, as opposed to all of it being in Birmingham. And again, Fox and NBC will be televising for the USFL. So I, for one, am nostalgic on the old logos and all the uh, the stuff in and around 
the USFL team. So there you go on the United States Football League. There is a uh, love it. Let's move on. Love it or leave it. So this one is a quasi love it. Love the Tampa Bay Rays and the start that they are off to. But uh, I mean, they're having to force the narrative right now on ESPN, the MLB Network, and everybody else on the national talking head shows on all channels, uh, giving them their love and their attention. I, I realize the schedule's not been strong to begin the year, but my God, once you get to 8-0, and 9-0, and 10-0, and, and you're doing something that hasn't been done in over 30 years of Major League Baseball, the Tampa Bay Rays are now 11-0 as we release this podcast. Last word on Sports Media Podcast. 11-0 is the best start since 1987, 36 years ago. Ronald Reagan is still the president, by the way. The world has not heard of LeBron James and would not for a few mo- few more years. The sports world has not uh, back in 1987. Gasoline was less than $1 a gallon in 1987 in the United States. Are you feeling me? I still remember the movie Die Hard out in 1988 where Bruce Willis in the one scene is outside of Nakatomi Plaza running on the street and the gas station says like 77 cents a gallon in Los Angeles. That's 1987, 1988, back in those days. Larry Bird Celtics, Magic Johnson's Lakers. That's the last time the Milwaukee Brewers, the Milwaukee Brewers of Paul Molitor, Robin Yount, Rob Deere, they were the they are the last team to go 11 and 0, and they actually got to 13 and 0 to start a major league season. Before them, it's the 1982 Atlanta Braves that also went 13-0, and that's it on teams that have gotten beyond 11-0, which is what the Rays will go for on Wednesday night against the Boston Red Sox as we release this podcast. So if the Rays get the win, they will be only the third team in the history of baseball over 150 years of MLB. How do you not love this? You got to love this. If you're selling the game, if you're selling Major League Baseball, you have to love this. Well, oh, it's not the Yankees. It's not the Dodgers. Oh, it's not the Cubs. It's not the Red Sox. It's not the Atlanta Braves. We got to sell the the uh, the big markets, the traditional teams. Well, I mean, you got a storyline to sell, and I get I get the Rays do not have superstar names and players. They're doing a lot of this uh, kind of out of body experience with the, with the hitting and the home runs and the runs scored. They have tremendous starting pitching. They always have. They have great a farm system that feeds in players. They make shrewd moves with guys that are willing to play hard on one-year deals to try to earn another big contract after the season they're in. The Rays have had this formula, and it's continued to win and win and win. And by the way, there are other teams that don't spend, like the Pirates and the Royals and the Reds and the Twins and, and many others that don't spend, and they can't figure this formula out, at least not sustain it. Year after year. So in any event, uh, loving the Rays and their start, but not not loving the coverage, not not loving the lack of love because they're not the Yankees. They're not the Mets. They're not the Phillies. They're, they're not the St. Louis Cardinals, the traditional baseball brands, the San Francisco Giants. I mean, if one of them was doing it, it would be nonstop on all the ESPN talking head shows every weekday. The MLB network couldn't get enough of it. Well, now you're forcing the narrative by continuing to win. And in particular, if they get the 12th win on Wednesday and now they're matching, they're having a chance to match 
on Thursday and beyond the all-time Major League Baseball record. I mean, it is hard to believe that out of the Yankees and the Cardinals and the Dodgers and the Braves and all these different teams, the Cubs, none of them ever went 11-0, much less 12-0 or 13-0. That's It's remarkable, but that's the case through the baseball history. All right, one more. Love it or leave it. I did make mention of hockey and the hockey playoffs uh, that are upcoming, the Stanley Cup playoffs. And again, ESPN and Turner, uh, TNT, will televise the hockey playoffs in the U.S. Obviously, um, what is it? Uh, Sportsnet in uh, in Canada will be showing them um, all the hockey playoffs and uh, uh, all the different games and matchups in the Stanley Cup playoffs. I will say this. I, I am loving more and more the broadcast team of Bob Wischusen of ESPN and Brian Boucher. Boucher, I have long enjoyed in his previous broadcast duties with uh, NBC's coverage of the National Hockey League. And I know you've got the biggest names. I mean, Eddie Olchek doing things with Kenny Albert on TNT. That's right up there. ESPN using Sean McDonough and Ray Ferraro. But can I tell you, Wachusen and Boucher are every bit as informative and entertaining to listen to on the call. With the enthusiasm, the insight of Boucher, the calls of Wachusen, I enjoyed getting to hear them on the Tampa Bay-Toronto matchup on Tuesday night, and those teams are going to play now. As the regular season is concluding, they're going to play in round one of the Stanley Cup playoffs. But uh, Washusen has a hockey background uh, to some extent, calling the games with for the New York Rangers on TV and radio previously, and ESPN has obviously utilized him now that they've gotten the NHL back the last couple of seasons. So, uh, again, I enjoy that team thoroughly. And, I, and that's not to say that Kenny Albert and uh, Eddie Olchek aren't good. I enjoy them too. And Ol- Olchek may be the best analyst um, in all of sports. I mean, he teaches you something all the time. I know they just gave out the Sports Emmy Awards, and he's nominated again for a Sports Emmy for the job that he does uh, with the National Hockey League. But, I mean, whether you're talking about Troy Aikman on the NFL or now, uh, you know, what John Smoltz does with Major League Baseball, you go to the NBA where Jeff Van Gundy is, or you listen to some of these different analysts. That are, I mean, I enjoy the daylights out of listening to Jim Jackson, too, the former college and NBA star uh, on Turner as a rising star. But Brian Boucher... And Bob Wachusen are a ton of fun to listen to, and I look forward to that. So I love me some of that tandem coming up on the Stanley Cup playoff hockey. And we will say this, the NHL always seems to have dramatic series after one goal game, after overtime, sudden death winning game. It does not lack for drama, and it will not be the case. And can my Tampa Bay Lightning figure it out? They've been floundering and losing. Will they turn the switch on in the Stanley Cup playoffs? They have been the most successful postseason team three years in a row. Two Stanley Cup wins and got all the way to the Stanley Cup final, losing in six games to the uh, Colorado Avalanche a year ago. Nobody has won more postseason series and has had more postseason success the last three years in the Tampa Bay Lightning. Is it going to be a quick exit? Well, why do I get the feeling with too many great players and a goalie like Andre Vasilevsky, they'll figure it out in best of seven series after best of seven series. Let's see what happens. But I'm interested to hear all of the calls and uh, and what's going to transpire. Okay, so there you go. There's a full show on this edition of The Last Word on Sports Media Podcast. Again, my thanks to Chuck Swirsky of the Chicago Bulls radio broadcast. He and Bill Winnington ready to call the Friday night play-in game uh, for Bulls radio. Bulls and the Toronto Raptors. The winner gets the Miami Heat 
in an elimination game again. Elimination game for both of these teams in Canada on Wednesday, and then the winner, oh goody, still has to go on the road and play Miami to keep their playoff hopes alive. But at least you're alive for now, like Chuck was talking about. So we thank Chuck for uh, hanging in there, and thanks also to George Offman for helping connect Chuck and me uh, for the broadcast. Appreciate George with his help on that. He had Chuck Swirsky on his Tell Me a Story I Don't Know podcast uh, shows and series uh, on this feed. You can go Chuck uh, check uh, Chuck's name, uh, search it under Swirsky, S-W-I-R-S-K-Y, and hear the full conversation because Chuck has got a tremendous story about being a broadcaster and what he wanted to do for the time that he was little, broadcasting at the University of Michigan for sports and then broadcasting with the Toronto Raptors in the NBA and now for the last 15 years with the Chicago Bulls on radio. Great stuff with that. And we thank Chuck for being part of this again. Uh, make sure you're following or subscribing for all the great content on this feed. Last word on sports media podcast feed, get it wherever you get podcasts, Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, Spotify. Uh, for now we're good. Uh, make sure you're listening to Mike and Phil later in the week with the announcer schedules podcast, go backwards and listen to George and Ryan Baker, the Chicago sports uh, personality on TV, the turned newscaster uh, back some years ago, and is one of the prominent faces and voices on TV in Chicago. But don't just go back for that. Go back for Jason Benetti of Fox Sports, Joe Madden, the Cubs manager, all those recently there, Greg Gumbel of CBS, all on George's podcast. And again, Mike and Phil having talked with Sean McDonough of ESPN, talking hockey, Mark Zumoff, talking Sixers basketball and his new podcast. All of that's right here on this podcast feed. Just go back to the most recent episodes. You'll hear that. For now, we are good. I am merely TJ Reeves. Thank you for being with us. Make sure you're following or subscribing to the Last Word on Sports media podcast feed. Find us as well, lastwordonsports.com slash podcast to find out more about this show. For now, enjoy everything that's going to happen with the NBA play-in, the NHL playoffs starting up, much more. We'll be here to talk all about it on the Last Word on Sports media podcast.